You're good. Hi, I'm Sarah Owings, and you're tuned in to the Backyard Pet Talk with Shannon Riley podcast. Hello, Sarah. I am so excited to have you as our guest today. Um, we have, I'll let you tell about background, but you know, we both are Karen Pryor Academy graduates. You know, you used to live in Southern California, I think too. So, you know, and Nan, um, who author, who was my teacher, you know, spoke so highly of you forever. And so then when I followed you on Facebook and saw you doing stuff with cows, I really wanted you to be here because um, I think it's such a great way for people to see that we can positively re reinforce any species. And so before we start talking about the cows, which I'm very excited to talk about, tell us a little bit about your background. Okay. I would describe myself as a long time educator, uh, which means you have to be also a long time learner. Just the two for me go hand in hand. Way back before I was an animal trainer, of course, I was an animal girl, right? horses, million pets. And then I got involved in early childhood education. And I was really thinking about this. This is the core of what I do. My ideal of teaching and learning is married with the ideal of caregiving. So I used, I started out as a sort of a caregiver, you know, taking care of very young children and learning what they needed. And, and then I branched into uh, an exploration of how young children learn, but always the forefront is what do you need? Um, you know, how can I help you feel safe? You know, you're having big feelings right now. You know, it's not about me. It's about taking care of you. So this is sort of the core. I think that really shaped me and I had some amazing mentors. And then of course, early childhood is a fascinating field as that's where all the big development happens. Um, and I worked in that field for about 11 years. Uh, and then I came full circle. Like many dog trainers I know, I adopted uh, a dog with some behavioral challenges and I became obsessed uh, with learning how to improve her life. But it was the same question, you know, what do you need? What can I do for you? How can I improve myself to give you what you need? Uh, and so I dove down uh, the lovely rabbit hole, right? A positive reinforcement training and found Karen Pryor Academy, found Nan, which was just wonderful. Uh, and just, it became, instead of sort of a, let me fix my dog quest, it became just this deeper passion so over time, I kind of shifted gears from working with young humans, although I really miss them, uh, to working with animals and their humans, of course. And that led me to some close ties with uh, Clicker Expo. And I was honored to be invited to be their faculty. So I've learned an incredible amount with that experience. So, and it's just grown from there. I've always just sort of been the same person really of each learner at a time has uh, shaped me. And then I'm constantly absorbing just the wisdom of very brilliant people so that I can do that job better. So that's sort of a, a good nutshell of the whole spectrum, yeah. but it's been 20, 25 years of all of just sort of that kind of focus over and over again with a wide variety of species, actually. Uh, I've worked amazing. with iguanas, rap, rabbits, almost every kind of dog you, you know, chihuahuas, great Danes, high drive, low drive, all the labels. Um, yes. horses, goats, you know, uh, just every single time you've worked with any, any animal, you, you, your brain expands, your soul expands. It's, it's fantastic. So yes. And now, each, have, and now we have learned, 
Exactly. And every species teaches you something different because their speed of response, their speed of learning, their how mm-hmm. your increments, how fast you can go, your criteria, everything is, you know, has to change. I mean, it changes within the same species, like with each dog, you have that difference. But then when you go from an iguana or a or a cow, which we're going to talk about, you know, it's just different the way that they respond because of being, you know, versus predator versus prey, you know, being a constant eater versus a once a day or once a week eater, you know, depending on what you're dealing with, if you're training food. So there's so many aspects of it that I think, um, you know, make training so fascinated when you look at different species. So, well, how did you start? So now we're, since we're going to focus on our cows, because we could talk about a lot of different things, but we want to focus on cows today. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about how you started working with your cows. We adopted them in a similar way that we've pretty much adopted all of our animals. Uh, They sort of found us. (laughs) We didn't go seeking them. We didn't go, we're going to go get a ranch and buy some cows. And, you know, we didn't do that at all. We, uh, we bought this property sort of, you know, in the middle of the COVID years of sort of, we better get, we better get started on our dreams or, you know, life's over too fast. So we bought this land, didn't know what we were going to do with it. And quickly learned that when you have 15 acres, the grass grows really fast, right? And mm-hmm. you got to figure out how to manage that land. And, you know, we were city people. So we were like, oh my gosh. And so our neighbor had a, a huge number of uh, animals, like a large herd of Highland, Scottish Highland cattle. And then she was sort of, um, I, I think, a little addicted to rescuing Holsteins uh, from the nearby dairy. So as we know, the, the male Holsteins, the, they're not valuable. They don't do much for anyone. And they're usually cold or they go to meat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she would periodically kind of get suckered into going over there, fall in love with a few of them and bottle raise them. So she had these bottle raised Holsteins that lived in the field next to ours. They were very friendly and they kept breaking down the fence to visit us because, of course, when the grass is always greener, right? Uh, it's always better on our side. So they would visit us and we just got to know them. And finally, we just said, why don't we just open the gate and let them graze our side? And she was fine with that. So we really got to know them. So they, they kind of lived half on our property and half on hers for like uh, six months. And then sadly, she had to move away and she sold all her animals. And wow. of course, everybody wanted the super stylish Highland cattle you know, everybody, those are collectors, you know, and they went to good homes. Nobody wanted the Holsteins. And uh-huh. um, these are big, big steers. So we have three, well, two really big steers, like 1500 pound range, 1800 pound range. Uh, and then one small steer, he's a Jersey. So these are all boys, castrated boys. Nobody wants them. And then one uh, very small cow who was going to be called because she was born prematurely, had health issues, and my neighbor saved her. And she's a beautiful little cow, but she's too small to be a dairy cow. So we have this funny little herd of four boys and one girl. <laughs> and so when my neighbor was desperate, she was like down to the wire, right? It was really looking like meat, you know, they were going to go get meat, be turned into meat or, you know, and of course my my husband and I agonized and agonized and we finally, just like all most of the dogs that have found us, we just were like, you know, every time we have let one of these amazing opportunities into our lives, it has 
been remarkable, even though it's terrifying. We don't know anything about cattle. And so we just did it kind of a leap of faith. And it's been an adventure ever since. I mean, we adopted them last February. And just as I've always done with every species, I've, I just went on a mission to learn everything I could about them. I have watched a million videos. I look, researched them. I read books. And, and of course, what's interesting is the perception of what, who cattle are in most mainstream world is very, I found it to be very different from the cattle that I, I had, mm-hmm. you know, every day I'd go out and I would just be like, who are you guys? What do you need? You know, and and then I would read all this stuff about like how aggressive they can be and how dumb they are and how basically sort of like just giant things with no brains, you know, and no feelings. I don't know how to explain. That's how you when you read stuff, they're just big, dumb animals. Yes. And uh, that was not my experience at all with them. So I just got curious. And and then I started to think, well, I don't want to handle them the way yes. cattle are normally handled and they need medical care. They need Right. And so I thought, uh-huh. well, I have the tools. I know how this stuff works. Um, they are very willing to work with me and have great resources in the zoological community. And so I'm like, let's go for it. I'm going to start training them and see where it takes me and see if I can teach voluntary husbandry. So the very first thing I ever taught them, of course, the most important thing is coming when called mm-hmm. because they would break out <laughs> a lot. Like they would just get out. And and then I used to watch how my neighbor would get them home. You know, they would drive them and chase them and throw, you know, use sticks and drive mm-hmm. them back. And I was like, you know, I have a feeling if I just taught them that when I call them and I have a bucket of grit, I put out their hay, they're going to learn that pretty fast. And they did. I mean, they just learned it like that. And that was the first thing I taught them. And of course, in terms of that relationship building thing, we kind of do it with dogs too, is that moment when they respond to you and they come to you instead of run away or avoid you. You know, that moment that really, I have to say, it starts to just make you love them. Like, like you called your children in for dinner, you know, and they come. Um, so that was it, the starting point. And that bond that you just created by when you call them, they get something. I, it reminded me actually, when you were talking about this is I purchased my horse when she was 12. She ended up passing away when she was 34. So, you know, long period of time we had together. And when I purchased her, everybody said, you have to walk her on a stud chain. because She doesn't get along with other dogs. Well, here's a positive horse retrainer going a stud chain. I don't think so, you know, and so I think I did it the first day just because they kind of, you know, made me when I did it. But then I started bringing my carrots and I started bringing things. So when we passed other horses, she got a carrot, you know, we did different things. And then I did the same thing. If she was in an arena or out in a pasture, I'd call her, she got carrots. And I ended up doing what you're doing with the cows, but I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, that was before we did this with horses because so that was, you know, 30, you know, almost 30 years ago. And, you know, and it was, and everybody started commenting at the ranch, gosh, she's so much better with you than she's with anybody else who rides her, you know, and it was building that trust. And up until the day she passed, you know, if I needed to do something, there were things that she had been poorly um, trained on, like worming was all about twitching her ears when I first got her. So I had to build trust on 
giving her the pace and, you know, trust on, you know, hurting, dealing with wounds and stuff. But by the end, I mean, you know, people would be shocked at how much I could do. And it just, when you're talking about these cows, it's sort of how I felt like when I got my horse, because it was like, no, you know, cows are, you have to do these things. They're aggressive and you have to do these things. And because of training, I'm like, and my intuition, I was like, but I don't want a relationship with my horse like that, you know? And just like these cows, they're living in your backyard. You don't want to have a relationship where you're worried they're going to charge you. And they, you don't need to give them reason to do that. So I think that's amazing. What did you, so you first taught them how to come to you when you gave them, you know, their feed, their grain, their hay. What was that? What are some other things that you have taught them? Well, um, I would have to say initially they were teaching me the most. Okay. Because like I learned things like they really love tactile. Like they just, just watching their behavior, they're rubbing on everything. They, you know, they just, they love when the sun shines on them. They love sit, they love sitting out in the rain, but mostly they really love just, they're like, they're, it's like, they're always itchy. Mm-hmm. So I started exploring uh, just tactile reinforcement first before I wanted to be a little careful before I dove into the food coming from me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to get to know them better. I wanted to understand because, because they are herd animals. So, and they're very big. So if I was, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't going to get all four of them coming for treats out of my pockets without a plan. So I kind of held off for a little while. I I would call them and give them hay and I'd call them and put food, grain in buckets, right? And then it was about the bucket and not me. And that worked great for a while. But I was also at the same time exploring other things they might like. One thing I, I figured out is, you know, at, I never, I mean, I never knew this about cows at, uh, once or twice a day, they ruminate, right? Which we all uh-huh. know, but it's a very, very peaceful time for them. Mm. So they lay down usually on the sunny slope. Uh, they're very relaxed. And these, these ones are, are very open to being handled right then. And so I would visit with them and I would learn where they like to be scratched, you know, and mm. One of my favorite moments is uh, our biggest steer. His name is Ferdinand and he, he is ginormous. I mean, he's over six and a half feet tall at the withers, um, 1800 pounds, Wow, big horns. Uh, he's really impressive animal. And what I noticed one day is I was scratching his neck and then I do something that I do with dogs all the time. You know, we call that five second rule, you know, where mm-hmm. you pet and then you move your hands away and see what they do. So yes. I did, I was like, well, let's just do that. And I scratched him and I moved away and he moved right towards me, stuck his head right back where my hands were. And it was so clear. He was saying more, please. Yes. More, please. Yes. And, and I, they began showing me what they wanted. So in a way, I feel like they taught me first, like I had no what idea the- tactile was such a powerful thing. I so- have a seminar that I call, you know, what's their currency. And it really is, you know, like, not every animal has the same. I mean, you know, we, we use treats as dog trainers a lot because it's easy. It's convenient, you know, but you have to find the right treat, you know, because I mean, I know dogs don't like hot dogs. You know, I know dogs who won't eat, you know, steak. It's just, you know, you just never know. It's, there's not one size fits all, but I have video of my horse too. She loved to be scratched between the withers. Then I actually bought this 
brush that I think was for like barbecues or something because I couldn't get in there enough. And I would brush her withers with this barbecue. It was a vet who showed me this brush. He's like, you should get this for her. And um, I would do that. And then she loved me to rub her belly to the point where she would lift a leg sometimes so I could get in better. And she would purse her lips like in this pleasure, you know, and those were the things I actually think built our bond. The carrots were good for me distracting her when there was another horse around or when I needed her to be somewhere Mm -hmm. or rewarding her for coming to me or doing something if I was training her a trick. But I think what built our bond more was finding what she really loved. You know, she actually really liked getting baths, not her face. So we had to use a sponge, no hosing of the face, (laughs) but you know, she liked to be groomed. She would have been brushed for days, but don't pull my mean because that's what the mean people did before. So when I was still showing, I just got a clipper. I did would cut it and then thin it. And nobody even knew I hadn't pulled it except her. So she's like, thank you for not pulling my hair out. And I just found those things. And I think sometimes those are the things that people forget, no matter what the species is, is that's kind of what builds the bond. It's just like a a husband or a a friend that does things you like, you know, come home from work and you like your feet rubbed and your husband says, Hey honey, let me rub your feet without you having to ask. But if you hated your feet rubbed and they did that, it wouldn't build your bond, you know? And so I think we always need to be thinking about that no matter what species it is. Like, what do they like? Kind of what's their love language, you know, is there a love language at right, right. personal touch? Is there love language quality time? Is it gifts? I mean, for a dog, gifts might be treats or a ball, you know, but finding their love language. And, and I have, I speak about this sometimes too, is that, you know, we all know we have love languages and we know what we like and what we don't. And sometimes we push on our animals, what we think they should like. But when you sit back, like you did with these cows and you sat back and you go, show me what you like, tell me what your love language is. So I don't just make these assumptions, which would be a really good thing for people to learn in relationships too. But you know, they don't always do that. But with this animals, it's, it's a huge place of my fascination. And I think that's why I love watching your videos when you're working with them, because I can see you. I've watched them get closer to you, but not too pushy. Like you said, they're not mugging you all the time. You know, they're not pushing over you They're You guys have found that nice balance. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they, and I don't, I'm always hesitant to also discount, you know, the power of primary reinforcement For sure. because we do sometimes hear in our community, well, it's just treats, you know, it's just doing it for treats. And it's powerful stuff because especially for a grazing animal uh, in particular, they need to eat all the time. So as soon as you're kind of, you're you're highly relevant when you are the access to that uh, stream of primary reinforcement. Um, And that to me is also an honor in its own way, but it's kind of its, its own special category because like I said, you want to be careful because like, for example, I'm, I'm very aware of with my cattle, what, when, what situations where I need to be a little bit more careful of my physical safety, they have never been aggressive towards me, but when there's food out, that's when you'll see general, normal, healthy herd dynamics of they'll push each other off the hay piles. Um, you'll see a little more like, Hey, this is mine. And they don't ever do it to me. I want to clear that, but I'm careful because they're, 
you might call it arousal level, whatever label you want um, mm-hmm. there. I don't want to be caught in between, especially at interestingly at night. Um, at night, they're much more likely to have this kind of um, behaviors where I, it's a, sometimes I go, this is the good night for me to throw the hay over the fence and let you have it and not not get in there and get all petty. You're not going to want me to pet you right now. Like this is very serious for you to get this food in your belly, right? So, but anyway, but primary reinforcement, I did eventually, I finally got brave enough to start exploring uh, regular clicker training. So that means uh, I use clickers, I have treats, I, I hand deliver the treats. That was a whole process of teaching myself, learning myself and them learning how to take food from a human's hand which is very interesting. This is something I didn't know, but now horses have these cool lips that kind of <laughs> snuffle it, you know? Yes, um, yes. And cows take their tongue. Oh yeah. And they suck your fingers. They can suck your fingers right into their mouth accidentally because that's how they they eat grass. They suck it with their their tongue. And that was a learning curve because it was like, I don't want my fingers in your, you know, because <laughs> the next thing that happens is crunch. I mean, I haven't, I haven't been crunched, but I was like, oh, I better work on this. So even though uh, I knew I knew exactly how to give horses horses treats, mm-hmm. I had to even adjust the angle of my hand. I had to really explore it. They had to learn actually to keep the tongues in the mouth. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is something that I would say, uh, uh, just like with the like my my dog is the same way. If I deliver the treat without thinking, you know, uh, thoughtlessly, I'll feel his teeth. Mm-hmm. Right, it, he'll hard mouth dog. Right. But when I have good thoughtful focus on my hand movements, they take it absolutely gently mm-hmm. and they have learned to, to take it mostly like a horse. But whenever I start to feel that tongue, I go, Oh, I'm not paying attention to my, I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing. I'm being sloppy. I need to get back to the, so there's so, I mean, this is a great example of, of a, a species moment where you're like, yes, it's the same lesson that my dog taught me about giving treats but I'm adapting it to this new, you know, this giant mouthed animal. His, yeah. our big guy, his mouth is way bigger than like two of my hands. I mean, he's just, wow. So just they, think, but yeah. what's amazing is they've learned mm-hmm. how to do it. Yes. So when and- I started, I gave him these giant trunks of food and now uh-huh. they can take tiny pieces of food very delicately. They've learned this subtle food delivery. Like, anyway, sorry, you were going to say, no, I think that this is fascinating. Something I want to, you know, talk, just go back really quick about is how you also have respected, like when, like at night you said, you know, that's not a good time for me to be, I need to feed on the other side of the fence. That's also a very good respectful thing. I, we don't always, I mean, we in our community are respectful of animals, but sometimes like our clients or people who they don't think about, they're like, well, you know, my dog is really hungry and, but I'm going to make him sit, stay and wait for, you know, five minutes because they're being so wiggly. Well, they're hungry. You know, if I'm hangry, don't sit there and put my steak in front of me and tell me that I can't eat it for a little bit. Cause I'm going to get more hangry, like be respectful of me in the moment. So at night feeding them, you know, making them wait and stuff probably isn't the best thing. And it makes you both have a positive outcome. You're not getting trampled. They're getting their food. They're also still, you're respecting them. So they're like, okay, I can trust you more. That little piece that you said has so much like that you could unpack for days, but just wanted to highlight that, that that's just being respectful. And I feel like that's something that no matter what species you're working on, 
you know, if they're having a bad day or they're struggling or they're hurting, or we have to meet them where we are, which we always talk about meeting our learners where we are, where they are, but that was something important. And then when you were talking about the handling of the food and then brought up that dog, that's a little snappy because we might have people who are listening that obviously don't train cows because there's not that many people <laughs> in the world that do what you do with cows. But there are a lot of those dogs where, you know, I'm very mindful. I'm very trained. I do this all the time. So, and I work with reactive, snappy, anxious dogs who are going to snap my hand really quick. But it is one of those things I have to guide my clients through where I'm like, well, they didn't touch their teeth to me, but I delivered different. And so I'm like, oh, put the open hand or, you know, don't pull back or so that is a piece that, um, when you're working with any animal, you have to look at what their anatomy is doing, what their mental space is. If you're working with a really anxious, anxious dog, you know, don't tease them with the food, make it easy for them to get because they're already anxious and they don't need anxiety now of getting their reinforcer, you know? So that is so powerful. I have a client too. I try to work with them. He does agility, but he's so afraid to give his dog treats that he always throws it. So then it's like, we pull, throw the, and then he, you know, it's like, messes this poor dog gets more anxious because his treat delivery is so scattered and the, the man happens to be scattered so it doesn't help either but i'm trying to you know say we need to find better ways for you to be able to reinforce because you're actually confusing your dog because it's he doesn't know ever where the reinforcer is coming from because it literally bounces sometimes right. 10 feet away and i just thought those were two pieces that you looked at it a different species and how species all can, we can learn so much from any species we're working with. So I just thought those were really fascinating things Absolutely. you talked about. Just, I want to mention a couple things I have actually taught them though. Yes. Just, I was just, you were on my, I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> oh, sorry. So once we figured out, you know, food delivery, I figured out, you know, do I need totally protected contact with them? Like, which means a fence between us when we work with food. Do I need that? Do I not need that? I've actually learned that I most of the time don't need that with these particular cattle, but some you, some you might, because it's nice to be able to just step back and everybody feels safer. They feel safer because you're on the other side of the fence and you feel safer because, you know, if they are big and they get in your space, you can move away. So I started protected contact. So lots of just structure around the food. And one really important thing that I did before I tell you the little things I've taught them is I really wanted to clarify when the food time was over, mm. the treat time. Mm -hmm. This I felt was very, very important for the same thing because I go into their paddock all the time. I do mucking chores, I groom them. I, And again, I didn't want all four of them at, all day long going, do you have treats? Do you have treats? Do you have treats? Do you have treats? I did not want that because mm -hmm. one, what a bummer for them, right? Every yeah. time they come to me, I, I'm a bummer. I don't have the food. Yeah. But two, I, it's not safe. It's not yeah. going to be safe for me. So I really thought about it. So one thing I did, and I, and I think this is important to share, and I think uh, more dog owners could do this. I, I set up a cue that means uh, I'm done. So when I'm done training, um, I wipe my hands. I chose Clorox wipes, mm -hmm. sort of lemon scented Clorox wipes, but you could do anything, anything that is a, uh, a scent is good for most animals. And then I put all the treats away and I let them smell my hands. And then I get right to something different, like a chore or right. So I change the way it looks. I don't stand there looking like I'm training anymore. 
more, but they smell that smell. And then I get busy with something else. I like to make sure they have other reinforcers around like maybe hay or something. So they're not, they can redirect their attention. And I've done that every single training session, every single time. And it's really hard sometimes because like after I put the Clorox on and then someone does something really cute and I'm like, <laughs> oh, I wish I could get the treats out again. And I'm like, no, I mean, it's like religious. It's, I might reinforce with scratching. I give them attention, brushing, whatever else they want. But the food, i am been really clear about it. And I'm mm -hmm. happy about that because like I said, most of the day is very relaxed with them. I can, I can sit with them in their shed. I don't, I feel safe anyway. So that's just something to think about is, if can you set context around that intense food reinforcement time? And when you're not doing that, make sure you've provided other reinforcers and, and it's very clear uh, for your learners. So I did that. But then, so in that structure, I, I, I decided to take a class for horses, horse training, uh, mm -hmm. positive reinforcement class with uh, Peggy Hogan and mm -hmm. Marty Gwynn, Monty oh. Gwynn, sorry, Monty Gwynn. And it's been really fun because I was really eager to be like haltering and medical. And I do all the medical stuff too, but I was thinking really practical things. Right. And they were like, let's teach them how to push a ball, how to walk forward on cue, how to walk backwards on cue, how to offer behavior. And so, and I realized too, that's such a great lesson because often with our dogs, we want to get right to the really hard stuff. The most important thing, the the agility training or the behavior mod, you know, but I have found it so helpful to be like, today's lesson is, can I shape this, this giant steer to put his nose in a flower pot? And you think, well, that's just cute or it's, it's a trick or, but actually I'm teaching him to lower his head on cue, mm -hmm. which is going to help me with haltering. He's comfortable putting his nose in things, which is going to mm -hmm. help me with haltering. So another one I've taught her to push a giant ball with her nose and if you, if you, if you've ever seen just a cow kind of light up, like her light bulb went off <laughs> of like, oh, this is what I get. This is one, she kind of enjoyed pushing it, but two, this is making you do clicking and food. Like <laughs> you see there, you could see their light bulbs go on and that makes them more eager to learn more things. Yes. And so starting with simple things mm -hmm. that maybe don't really matter, quote unquote, matter that much mm -hmm. is a, a great foundation uh, for mm -hmm. all the learning and teaching you want to do. So when I do get to the hard things, we've got this history of fun, success. Um, if I screw up, it's not the end of the world because it's just pushing a ball, right? It's like, mm -hmm. so that's kind of what I've done. They've, they've been learning a lot of stuff like that, but uh, things like moving forward on cue and moving backwards, mm -hmm. very helpful with giant animals. Mm -hmm. um, and I've taught them to kind of follow me on cue, almost like they're on lead, mm -hmm. but I haven't put the leads on yet, but I just, I just say, let's go. And they yep. walk right next to me, just like they have a lead. So when I put the lead on eventually, that's going to be easy. Mm -hmm. And it, I don't have it, to do a lot of like halter breaking, you know, like, uh, so that, it sounds like those are just some things I've taught them. It sounds like almost the Liberty work that I did with my horse, you know, cause my horse would follow me and I could have her turn right and left just by hand signals and back up with hand signals. And she would rear up for hands like when she was youngster, you know, she could do when she got older, there were some things physically she couldn't do anymore, but you know, it was, and it would just help that bond. Like I was, I mean, the halter on my horse was just there because I 
the barn rules were that she had to have a halter from her stall to the arena or the stall, you know, that was the barn the rules, but she like, you know, was I probably never would have left me anyway. Cause I never really had to pull her. She just stayed right where she was. And I think that that is, I think it's right. You know, doing some of those fun things, then it helps you when you need to do the harder things. And I want to also mention that such a great idea for the Clorox with the lemon scent, because I have people who say you can't do training with horses because they will always want your food and you, you know, have that cue. That's always the pushback I get when I talk to people about force-free horse training. And I love that, you know, that very clear scent. Cause for me, I just did kind of the all done sign with my horse and I took my treats and put them away and, and she just knew, you know, and she was like, okay, you know, they're, it's done now. We're going to do these other things. But I get that pushback a lot when I start talking about doing that. Well, then they're just going to push you around. Well, those clear cues are really helpful. And then that backup cue, because she had an amazing backup cue, because um, sometimes she'd get a little excited to get in her stall if her grain was already there. So before she was allowed to go mm -hmm. in the stall, she had to always back up three or four steps, you know, and then she got a scratch, a tree, whatever I had. And then I could walk into her stall. She followed me calmly. We undid all of her things, but um, I just made it part of her habit that she just had to back up because when she was a little younger, that grain was very enticing and she just want to plow through me, but she learned to pause, step back. And all of these things is just amazing that you're able to do it with cows. And we love it because people think cows can't learn anything. And they think you have to hurt all these animals in order to get them to obey or do what you want. And you're just proving that it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, we see it in zoos, but sometimes people think, well, zoos are like magic places where people, you know, do these, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's this weird philosophy, like, well, yeah, she can do that with an elephant or a rhino, but I can't do that with my dog. And I'm just like, okay. So, you know, this husbandry stuff, sometimes yeah. I think it's great. The more species we can show, you know, that can do all these things, as long as we follow, you know, very specific and are very clear. Um, someone once told me clarity is kindness. And it really is even in training, clarity is kindness. You know, when we aren't clear to our animals, it's not kind to them. And it's really not kind to us because then the mess ups happen and it can be disastrous. I view that concentrated working time with positive reinforcement with food, which is again, never underestimating it. This is a powerful thing for them. It's very, very important. It's my responsibility to give them my 100% focus. Mm -hmm. And when I'm in work mode, when I'm in, when the green light is on that we're working, it's my job to be like, it. I feel like it's a promise that the food will come in a way that they can trust. Um, they don't, they shouldn't have to be mugging me to get it. If they are, then I'm doing something wrong. Um, I'm not being clear enough. And also there's a lot of things that uh, we can do with these larger animals that I'm learning. Like if you, I always feed away from my body, mm -hmm. right? So I try not like if they're, you know, they can, they sniff around like, oh, you got treats on the bag over here. And I don't like wait that out and say, that's not the, that's not the good behavior. That's the bad behavior. I'm going to wait till you stop doing that. I just start feeding them where I want their heads to be, right? So they don't go through that frustration of, mm -hmm. you know, cause they're, I've noticed with cattle, they're very direct. They're like, the food is <laughs> in front of me and I just should go to it. Like, it's not, <laughs> they're not trying to be, they're not trying to be like naughty or rude or pushy. Yeah. 
they're just they're it's it's right there it's mm -hmm. like a bucket of food right in front of them why wouldn't they just go put their head in the treat pouch mm -hmm. like right so you have to make it be like this entire game is about getting fed over here away from the treat pouch and then they start keeping their head straight but yes. it you have to honor that you're it's a promise so anyway i just think that's so important with people who are working with any animal but particularly those big ones you don't want to wait out the quote unquote pushy behavior uh, that's yes. uh, a, not a very good recipe for it's not safe and I think it's a good, even like, even if we talk about humans, you know, if I'm going to coffee with my friend, I don't want my friend on their phone distracted. Like this is time for us to be focused. Right. So when I'm training my animal, it's that same promise. This is our time together. I always tell my clients, when you're on walking your dogs, put your phone away. Don't talk to people while you're walking your dog. Cause this is your time with them. And how would you feel if, you know, your friend walked with you and they talked on the phone to someone else the whole time you guys were on a walk, the whole reason of walking together is gone. And that's the same thing with these, you know, with cows, no matter what species you're working with. And it can only, if you only have time for five minutes, then give them that full five minutes. If you're doing something that's a longer duration, like turn off your phone, you know, get, be focused because it's, nothing's kind at, about this at all. And I remember even we talked about this and when I was in KPA with Nan, you know, if like you're in the middle and your phone rings and your dog's like, well, what happened? We were training and now you just walked away from me. You know, it's a, it's a respect thing, but it is also stressful for them because they don't understand that the phone rang and that's why you went. So staying focused on whoever you're working on and just in humans too, focused on that person. I think that's a, a exactly. great lesson all exactly. the way across the board for anybody. So I think this is fantastic. I just love it. I, someday I hope I can come see them. If I come back up there, I'll have to swing by and the ranch. But well, you have told us so many amazing things for the cows. And I know that we could talk for days about these cows and I'm fascinated with them, but tell us something else, any last one minute nugget or something you would like to share, whether it's something you've learned by working with them, something you've learned about yourself by working with them, something you've learned about training other species like your dog Tucker or anything that you would like, like a nugget that we could um, send our audience off with. I, I knew that the laws of learning would apply, right? I knew that if I found reinforcement, I could shape behavior. I knew, you know, I knew that was going to happen. I didn't think that would be a surprise. Um, but wait, what I've been sort of just sort of finding amazing with them is that they are actually very subtle learners. You wouldn't think that about big animals like that, but they're each unique. They have very distinctive uh, likes and dislikes. One, I have four different kinds of food and one will eat all of it. One will only eat one type of food. One will only eat some days, another day. Like they each take the food differently. They have different tolerance levels for how much you know, brain challenge I give them. They're just these subtle, unique individuals. And I can feel them constantly very on a very sensitive level, paying attention to my body language, responding to my patterns, trying to figure out the puzzles. And I just find that that's a lesson for everyone is that every learner is like that. And so anytime anyone, you know, tells you, that your dog is a certain type of dog, like he's dominant and that's all he is, or that's a, that's a, you know, a big dumb animal and he's just for meat and that's all he is or whatever it is. I mean, we, we use those terms, put these animals in a little box. And I think that's 
what I would really encourage people to just get out that, get outside that box and ask the question, you know, who are you and what do you need and mm-hmm. what, can, what do you want to do? Like, just ask those simple questions, be really curious about every individual and, um, and you'll learn so much and you're the one that will grow the most. So I think that's my, I, my I love that. You. It kind of reminds me of when, you know, Susan Friedman says unlabel, you know, unlabel me like all when people put these labels on that mm-hmm. are just like, they're stubborn, they're aggressive, they're this, it's like, that's like saying, you know, you're a cow teacher. Like that's all you are. You know, there's nothing else about you or, you know, I'm a what a dog trainer, I'm, you know, or I'm a mom. Like I have so many more facets than that one label you have put on me. And within that, I'm always adjusting and changing and learning. And so I think that's a great thing again, across the species and, and even with other humans. So I think that's a great a reminder that everybody's unique and, and the right, maybe I'll be the same breed and the same species, but they're all individuals. You know, you and I are both women, but we have our individuality just like everybody else, you know? So I just think that that's a great thing. I can't wait to keep watching them, you know, uh, learn. And I love following the things that they do. And um, I think that, you know, what you're doing, you can help people with dogs understand it differently, but you can also, this might start helping horse people, you know, because people always just assume horses are smarter than cows because, you know, you know, that's just what they are, but they're just different how they think. It doesn't mean they're smarter or not, but you could get, we might get more people training goats and horses in a positive way, like Peggy Peggy Hogan does. And, you know, just such a great thing. I think you, you, you stumbled into a new hobby, not on purpose, but it could make a great change in, in animals world. So I think that's fantastic. So, well, Sarah, thank you so much for being part of our podcast today. And we will have links to, you know, things that, um, that we've talked about and, and if there's, you know, people following KPA will be on there, but I really appreciate you being here. And I really can't wait to keep watching those cows learn. Cause I've watched you since you decided to adopt them. (laughs) So it's amazing. Well, thank you very much. And I hope everybody learned a lot of good stuff from you.